Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And I'm Ian Punnett. This is Bester Than Us, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. So that's not Elizabeth, obviously. The summer schedule continues to wreak havoc on our podcast. But thank God I've got a professional broadcaster in the house. Thank you. That's my husband, Ian Punnett, professional broadcaster, professor at Kansas State University, author, husband, father, such and a good non-disruptive man. partner on the air. <laughs> non-disruptive partner. Marjorie said I could only come back if I promised to read the script as she wrote it out for me and not to disrupt. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. There's no way in hell that's going to happen. But what is great, though, because you're a professor at Kansas State University, this is what I'm excited about. So often on Best to the Nest, we talk about raising young children and the issues around young children. Of course, ours are grown. They're about to be 31 and 29. And we don't often speak about older kids. And I really wanted to talk to you about what parents should be thinking about as they're about to drop their 17, 18, or 19-year-olds off at college. I, I think of this as one of the most stressful periods. Senior year of high school, and then the summer before college, I found incredibly stressful with our own children. Did you? Uh, not, not as much in the sense that I, I felt like they were in a pretty good place and I thought they had a good sense of a starting square for mm, That's a good way to look at it. Right. It wasn't, they, they weren't having, we weren't having to commit to them having to be doctors or lawyers and God forbid that we weren't telling them, you got to become broadcasters. Like no. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean. definitely didn't tell them that. There, so I think for where they each were, I thought that, that I felt pretty set that they were going to be okay. And then the rest of it's just going to be a path of self-discovery. Yeah. And I think that's so much about what college should be about is the path of self-discovery. I remember one of our children, and sometimes I don't name names on this podcast, but one of our children was very focused on what he was supposed to become. Because so many people, when kids are graduating from high school, everybody's asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to study? Who are you going to be? And he didn't really have the answer quite of what that meant. He was going to go sort of a liberal arts route, but he didn't really have a solid idea of I'm going to be, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a chemist or I'm going to be a policeman. He didn't have that. And it was frustrating to him that so many people were asking him that. And I remember telling him, just make it up. They don't right. really care. They're asking because it's sort of a perfunctory question and it's what you ask 18 year olds, but 
they're not going to walk away from remembering that and putting it in some sort of log or journal that you're going to have to live up to three years from now. I said, just make it up. What do you feel like that day? You could change it every day. I don't care. But that's part of, that's part of the idea of what kids are going through when they're trying to get ready, ready for college. And I, I wanted to talk to you specifically about as a professor, what do you think as parents are, what are the conversations parents should be having in these weeks before they're about to drop their kids off at college? What are the important things you think as a family, as a person, they should be thinking about? Well, I mean, for, for our kids, we, you know, at least in the one that you mentioned, we, we were trying to work through the idea that as it turns out, there is no major such as mad scientist. <laughs> Which is what he always thought he was going to be, uh, and that he was going to clone some sort of uh, army and take over the world. And once we explained to him that that wasn't there yet, for that's that, right. He was uh, he was a little dislodged from his plans, and so the very same sorts of things that we would say to our kids is kind of what I still believe to be true. That it's important for incoming freshmen who are looking at college as a period where they can take a lot of different courses. They can experiment with different learning styles. They can have some fun with different clubs that they may not have had in their own high school experience. And from that, they should develop new approaches to learning. Mm, that I love just, that. Be, just because you had a particular style in high school, you're not married to it now. And that high school teaching is very different than college teaching and that they shouldn't look at college as graduate high school. Right. Uh, that I it's really that. a completely new experience and they need to be open to learning new skills in order to fully take advantage of these new experiences. What would you say the difference is between when you say this isn't graduate high school, what would you say the biggest difference is that students should be prepared for? Uh, greater competition in the classroom. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, perhaps a, a larger percentage of career oriented people that are in your field that are thinking along the same lines that you might be. But whereas you might have been in high school, a very special kid and that you were treated like that by some teachers, you may not run into that when you've got 120 people in a class. Right. Your, your right. specialness being a, 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 a strong performer or an overachiever in a particular discipline in high school may be a period of adjustment for you. And that may be that you're used to being thought of as the best at something just because you were there. And at college, that very likely won't be happening. Yeah. You and I both went to the University of Illinois and I found the experience incredibly shocking, mostly because I had gone to an all-girl high school, which was relatively small. I mean, not tiny. There were 300 in our class, sure. 300 or so girls in the class. But, and then, and then my senior year high school, I had like 10 people in my class. I had switched schools and I had like 10 or 12 people in the senior class. I mean, it was tiny. Maybe it was more than that, but it was tiny. And so to go to a state university, and I think this is a shock for a lot of kids too. And I, I, I I think what you said is really smart. This idea that you're somehow special or you're the smartest or you're going to be paid attention to or you're whatever. When you go to a bigger university, I remember one of my classes, 
it was like an earth science class. I mean, it was like a freshman year. Everybody has to take a kind of class. It was an auditorium filled with people. And it didn't matter if you were straight A's. There were a lot of people who were, you know, who who were getting A's on every test in that class. And they weren't going to single you out and say, good job. That was the expectation. And I, I think sometimes that's, especially for kids who are used to sort of being the center of attention, that can be overwhelming because they somehow feel like they're failing because they're not getting that affirmation that they're used to. And I think that's a really good conversation to have with your kids before they go. If they're, if they're a little bit in that type A model, that that might be a good thing to say is, you know, don't, don't, don't prove everything. You don't have to prove everything your freshman year. Just get acclimated. When I, uh, I teach a, a basic English writing course, it's a series and I teach it almost year round. And one of the things I run into when a student gets a poor grade back is I have never gotten below an A in my life. <laughs> I, 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 and then they'll often say, Mrs. Sullivan said I was the best right. uh, English student she had ever had. And so I do not know what the problem is. I'm still me. The problem must be you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Gosh. And so, and uh. I run into that a few times because that's, uh, there's a legitimate expectation that you're always going to be the best at something, but that if it doesn't pan out, you have to take a harder look at, well, you know, maybe you were getting a pass from Mrs. Sullivan because by comparison to the rest of the class or her, the fact that Mrs. Sullivan was kind of in the downward trend toward retirement, her standards had dropped a little bit. And so she was just happy to see somebody who cared and was willing to forgive some other rhetorical sins. Whatever the case is, it still comes down to college has a standard. And if your standards are being raised to meet them, then you have, you should, you should challenge the school that you're not challenging me enough or you should challenge yourself and 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 get into the writing center or find out you know if there's a tutor program or something like that i think that's 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 an interesting writing in particular is so subjective but at the same time it's not and i think a lot of kids in high school aren't really taught the rules of writing the rules of grammar. And so once they get to college and they're, they're not allowed to just free write and, you know, sort of ad lib punctuation and they actually have to write an essay, maybe a five paragraph essay that has a thesis and has developmental paragraphs and all of that, that that can be a shock to the system because this is, this is sort of a well-known secret is writing is hard to teach to young children and to high schoolers. And in a lot of places, it's not being taught very well. And so when those kids get to college, it can be a rude awakening that the fact that they were allowed to free write for a senior thesis is not acceptable college writing. Well, and so that and, can be kind of a shock to the system. And and some of this obviously is not entirely their fault. It's a societal thing that says it's okay to write long paragraphs just using your thumbs and a telephone. <laughs> Whoopsie and, daisy. <laughs> yeah. And so some students, they, they may not even be able to type well. And, but on top of that, they're used to a, a kind of greater play in right. terms of punctuation and capitalization <laughs> right. and all sorts of things that are acceptable in tech speak. 
But when you're saying, no, you're going to have to learn a different voice. You're going to have to learn a business voice or an academic voice uh, or and even just an active voice where you, every sentence you are writing doesn't isn't using passive verbs that in in teaching that uh, you you may have to find that you you should form a study group or work with other people that are also right. interested in getting better too and that'll make it easier well i love that i love that conversation another one that i think has been surprising to some college freshmen is that they might have to read yeah talk about that that preparing kids that are going off to college that part of college part of the demands of college is that they may actually have to open their books. Well, or even just that they should accept the fact that they're going to have to purchase a book. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Talk to me about that. Well, I mean, there are plenty of people who will not take a course if there is a book that is required reading. A, they don't want to pay for it because what am I going to do with this book at the end of the semester? Right. What, 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 what do you do with that? I give it away to somebody. It's like, well, you can resell it. You could keep it. Right. And I think that there are some people that are focused on that, um, that they don't want to purchase books. Uh, then on top of that, they would much rather books be more like colorful infographic pamphlets. And, and this is something which society, younger, communicators may be used to is that this sort of pre-digested information that doesn't require critical thinking skills, that this is, this is, this is, it's, it's too much to ask that they actually have to sit down and read. And, and I know that sounds like I'm condescending and I'm not trying to, but this, this is an ongoing conversation on campuses all over the country. Yeah. And the I, I, several of my courses, I just I stopped ordering books and I stopped assigning books because they just weren't reading the material. And and now I think I'm going to swing back and I'm going to start having textbooks again in classes after a, a year or so of experimenting without textbooks at all. Well, it's a loss. It's a loss to the college experience. And I think right. if you really want your if you want your children to actually get something out of college. I mean, and again, this goes back to, you know, this is a family value. You're sending your kids to college. What's your family value? Why are you sending your kids to college? But if you want them to actually come out of college smarter, obviously reading is a big part of that. And it is interesting. I mean, I think both you and I had to take Shakespeare at the University of Illinois. And I remember that book was so expensive. It was so heavy. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful book, but I don't even remember what it cost you. I bought it new. Oh, I, yeah, it was, it was over a hundred dollars then. In the eighties. Yeah. I can't remember what it's now. And, and that's where, again, people would say, well, can I just watch the video? Can I watch the movie? (laughs) Yeah. No. Why do I have to read it? And, and this is a conversation that we have to keep saying, well, because you are going to interface this material differently. And in fact, your reading comprehension is going to help your writing skills. Right. right. And those two things get, you know, we tie one and two together. You will be a better writer. You will be a better communicator in any field you go into if, if you, you are read. better, if you're a better reader. Yeah. And I think that's key. What I was going to say about the Shakespeare book, that was a painful one to buy, but you can't take a course and study Shakespeare and not read Shakespeare. 
And I think there is a generational difference now that they probably could find a lot of these performances online. We would not have been able to, that that would suffice, that they would think, oh, this is okay, but it's, but it's not. And I was talking about this with a little, a little bit with Elizabeth in our last podcast about this book that I was reading about the reconfiguration of children's literature, but the author made a point about how image for this generation has overcome text. And, and that's something that is, is sort of a dangerous trend because it is true. If you don't read it, if you're, if you're not a, if you don't read, it's very hard to be a good writer. Those two things go hand in hand. They just do. Yep. And then one more conversation, which we talked about earlier, but I think is really interesting. You come in contact with it day to day because you're a professor at K-State. I saw it a little bit because I worked with students at Arizona State University is this idea of being job ready. And what are your feelings about that? I mean, when parents are spending anywhere from 50000 to 150000 or the kids are taking out loans to get an education, obviously, everybody wants those kids to get a job. Now, I graduated with a rhetoric degree with no job in sight. You graduated with an English degree with no job in sight. <laughs> but, oh, but, but you did, though. I say that. That's wrong. Yeah. You had a job already. Yeah, and I think that that I mean I was I had the luxury of being already full time in media, yeah, and yeah. you were different. Than literature media. was just my way of trying to understand what people had thought before me. And yeah, that's beautiful. And understand kind of how to improve my ability to come up with original content before we we called it such a thing. And I so yeah, I think this is this notion of job ready. You can put too fine a point on it, and if it if everything's going to have to face that that criterion uh, of will I need to know this in my job? If every if everything has to pass that through that lens, will I need to know this for my job? Then I think that's where we've got a problem, and I this is where I I I, I think most of the material should help prepare you for future work. But it's not a matter of this, that four years of college should be a dry run to you going out and working in any one particular field. That's not that you're missing the opportunity to really explore and make new connections that will come in handy and will create a good pattern. It's one thing to be practical, but theory should never be sniffed at and to learn the theory of any one particular field will mean when the circumstances change later on, you'll still have the theories to fall back on. That'll say like, you know, this is how I can adapt to these new circumstances because I understand how this field works, not just uh, some sort of uh, manual that you learned in college on, you know, how to, you know, function within a particular job. And I think too, and I haven't researched this in a while, but for, gosh, within the last 10 to 15 years, and I think it's still kind of a trend, even pre-med is changing and pre-law is changing. And they want candidates that are not so narrowly focused, right? that are more creative thinkers, both. And so I think even if you're looking at graduate school, the idea of being a creative thinker is important. And of course, I mean, I don't, I'm not an engineer. I never took any engineering classes, but you would think that even in that field as well, 
you would want creative thinkers. And that just means not always taking a class just because you think it's going to get you the job you want, but taking a class because it's going to make you the kind of human being you want to be. Well, this so. speaks to research that's been done. And again, I, I use the R word and a lot of people kind of freak out at that thought, but the research that's being done that says the uh, the best indicator of future success in any one given field is not IQ, but it's EQ. It's our emotional intelligence. It's how, what we as whole people can bring that will decide whether or not we'll be great managers, great leaders, great employees. And so that's where college, I think, excels still is in teaching people emotional intelligence, yeah. problem solving, cooperation, and to to create a pattern of becoming lifelong learners that will suit them well. I love that. And and I think sometimes that gets forgotten even in high school with the focus on AP classes and how quickly can you get through all of the high school classes so you can go into college with a year under your belt, which there's nothing wrong with that when college is expensive. I mean, to have a year of college done, right. there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I always feel like slow it down a little, really understand what you're learning and appreciate that so you can be a lifelong learner and be curious are, the rest of your life. That's Those are the quantitative metrics. Yeah, the, the GPA, the AP classes, the you know the the top scores, all of that. Right. That's not who we are as people. We are not robots, and the qualitative aspect of our development, I think, is much more important than if we were eighty sixth in the class ver versus twenty third in the class. We we might end up being a better leader because at position number eighty six in the class. We spent more time being social. We went out and we, we learned how to get along. We had fun. We learned what, we learned that it wasn't just a matter of cramming. Now I know you and Elizabeth are the last two people to talk about of not making it into the top 10. I realized that you, the very thought probably gets little beads of sweat on your brow. I'm like, good now. I've let go. Okay. I've let go. Right. You're reformed. On the yeah, I've let go on the on my type A nature. All right. No, I think that's really good advice. And to all of the parents who are prepping their kids for college, my heart is with you. Leaving our sons at their dorms when they were 18 was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Well, you're a both mom, of them. You know, yeah, it was so hard. It I was, was so ready hard. with a hundred bucks and a couple bowls of kibble and <laughs> work it out. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. And it just so happens, Ian, that there was a review posted by Best to the Nest fan, and it was about you and me. Oh, uh-oh. So for the June Watch Read Listen, she said, thanks, Ian. She said, thanks to Ian for recommending Marry Me on Amazon Prime. <laughs> And here I was being very disruptive, which I was told I could not be this time. I don't so watch a lot of your content. best email came from me being disruptive. I just want to make note of that. I don't watch a lot of content, but the combination of Ian talking about the movie and Amazon advertising, I decided to watch. Thanks, Ian. The content, uh, she said, I never miss best of the nest. Love the conversations, the non problem solving. I like that, the non-problem solving. We particularly, pr we pride ourselves on the fact that we never solve 
any problems. The discussions that make me think and look inward. Marjorie and Elizabeth, you make a difference. Keep creating great content. I'll be here for every episode. Thank you, Best of the Nest fan. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.